Hello, everyone. I'm Ani, mad shaman avidician. Welcome to Metaphysical Martini. Three parts spirit, one part rational mind. Add two drops of optimism. Give it all a good hard shake and pour. Dress it with the olives of grace and empathy. Sit back, sip slowly, and contemplate the wonder of cosmic co-creation. And a hearty hello to everybody out there. Hello, hello, hello. Thanks for joining me for yet another round of lovely cocktails on this week's Metaphysical Martini, the show that tries to sort out what's true, what's woo, and what gets flushed down the loo. In today's, hey guys, Elon is buying while the brainwashed are crying. Why do people still believe the endless extrusion of poo that passes for news? If someone identifies as a hedgehog, should we take them to the forest and just leave them there? How much chemical imbalance can our world endure before we revert to being humans free and pure, bursting at the seams with stupidity, currently pathetic, but working on getting better, strange little world? Now, I'm sort of working on my mood today. I'm not in a very good mood, but it will pass. And I suspect it's because I'm on day three of a 14-day water and broth fast. My body loves it. Yet my mind wants to present a never-ending parade of every conceivable donut variation known to man 24-7. This is how it goes. Darlings, welcome to the show. As always, we try to present this show with as much dignity and decorum as can be mustered on any given day. And as always, we are rarely successful, but we are honor bound to give it our best shot. And on this show, the Metaphysical Martini Show, we do love the odd shot now and then. Yes, we do. In fact, I'll take a sip of today's carefully crafted cocktail just to see if it's good enough to share with you. Just a moment. <clears throat> That's not bad at all. Now, today's cocktail is actually a mocktail due to this fasting status of mine. But yummy, it's a good one. So, you know, we'll stick with it and we'll get on with the show. Welcome back, Martini Heads. And if you're joining us for the first time, Huzzah, and a very warm welcome to you. Be advised, all ye newbies, this show is not politically correct, so as not to erode the intellect. You see, there's far too much of that sort of thing going around. And if mankind is actually going to eventually ascend, mankind needs to reclaim its mind from the propagandists. And mankind needs to stop dumbing down and to start gearing up. We don't do PC. PC was designed to stop us from speaking our minds. And the end game to that mind game is to stop us from thinking altogether with our own minds. And if you haven't figured that out by now, you need to spend more time in prayerful contemplation. What's wrong with common sense, common courtesy, common decency? Stop buying into this insanity, people. 
seriously, you manifestations of divinity, you deserve better. On today's show, what do we have? Um, well, we have quack, questions, answers, and comments. We have the cryptic mystic. We have some silly poetry. We have tarot, a go-go, and anything else we can fit into one hour. And of course, the cocktail of the day, which is always my favorite part of the show. So let's get on with it. But first, a word of gratitude and praise for the peeps who make the worldwide distribution of this podcast possible. Mystical Wares in Mount Vernon, Washington. Dedicated to exploring both the known and the unknown, then helping provide the products and tools to expand your reach. Mystical Wares has a large, varied selection of all items metaphysical and is a veritable paradise for those who seek enlightenment over entitlement and for those who know the difference between propaganda and ashwagandha. Mysticalwares.com, guaranteed to stimulate your metaphysical mojo. And darlings, who doesn't want their mojo stimulated from time to time? It can be quite fun, you know. All right, so what else is happening? Um, I don't know what's going on in your world. I'll talk about what's going on in my world. Along with my much-needed water and broth fast, not nearly as much fun as it sounds, I'm back at the gym. 45 minutes on the treadmill each day. A few lightweights three times a week, and I must say, and I mean this, I do enjoy it. What I don't enjoy is the setup. You know, the mass manufactured pop music blaring out, giant television screens everywhere, all playing different channels. And if you want to listen to the insanity that passes for news and entertainment these days, you can plug your smartphones into your treadmill and have access to the audio which I don't recommend because it's rubbish. And even if you choose not to do that, unfortunately, the closed captioning is on. It's really amazing. I mean, my partner and I, we canceled television service, I think a little over 12 years ago. And, and we did that because, well, our home is a sacred space and we are selective when it comes to who and what we allow into that space have not seen any of these television morning shows for years. And now at the gym, well, it's quite obvious they appeal to the lowest common denominator. Millions of people keep the telly on at home as background noise. Please stop that. It's all propaganda. It's all designed to make us weak-minded, feeble-minded, Endless commercials telling you to take medication that has appalling side effects, up to and including mortal death. No wonder the majority fell for the COVID hoax. They expect to die from adverse reactions. The perceptual engineers have been setting this up for years, and mankind, manifestations of source creator I am, fell for it, hook, line, and sinker. Glorious souls, co-creators of multiple worlds, walking around like frightened little insects, falling for simple little mind tricks like masking and social distancing. At the lowest end of the scale, darlings, it's an embarrassment. At the other end of the scale, it's suicide for this planet's evolution. 
Unplug from the dark matrix, oh my people. Your insanity causes me to weeple. Your Stockholm syndrome gives me the creeples. Please remember this country's emblem. It's the bald eagle. It's not a scurrying little beetle. Stop delegating your liberation to the white hat brigade. They do exist, but stop delegating it. Do something every day to contribute to bringing awareness to our world and never give up and never surrender. Yes, it is a hard and rocky road and we are constantly disappointed and surprised by the tenacity of the dark ones. They will never give up. They will never surrender. So we have to chase them down to the last man, to the last woman and whatever else they think they are. We have to chase them down, corner them, arrest them, try them, sentence them. And most of them need to be executed because it's the only way to get the buggers off the planet. You can't reason with sociopaths who think of we the people as cattle. They genuinely feel they know best. They know best what is best for us. That makes them insane for thinking that. And it makes we the people insane for following their illegal and immoral orders. The other thing, you know, they're not thick. They know it's over for them. Final convergence and all that. They know they're running out of options, but they still control the media and therefore the collective mind. So unplug your televisions, unplug them and plug into the divine server for a clearer picture of how to proceed. And a word to my fellow patriots, and I say this with love, loving your country is not enough. You need to know how the world works and what America's purpose on earth is. And you need to stop saying you want to go back to the way things were. That's not progress. The way things were is just another illusion. Deep state ideology has taken control. We have allowed deep state ideology to take control of every aspect of our lives. And unplugging from that illusion requires courage because it means great changes must be made. Let's look around us for a moment. And let me change my glasses so that I can actually read a few of these notes that I've made. Hang on, darlings, don't go away. Oh my gosh, I can see. All right, these great changes that I'm talking about. There is a disease out there and it's called wokeism. It's a filthy, dirty disease brought into being by deep state perceptual engineers. A disease that under the false label of equality seeks to blur all the lines between decency and deviancy. Carriers of this disease wish to tell your five-year-old male child that his physical inventory does not define his gender. Now, do whatever the heck you want when you're an adult, but this is not a suitable subject for a five-year-old. Five-year-olds need to be playing with crayons, not thinking about genitalia. Carriers of this wokeism disease want white children to feel shame and guilt because they were born with white skin. Carriers of this disease want to classify paedophilia as a sexual orientation 
and the list goes on. The carriers of this disease, they are brainwashed, state-controlled automatons. There is no other way to refer to them. Under the false guise of equality, they have handed their minds over to the new world order and consequently their sovereign rights. I don't even know if they know that they're doing this because I'm sure they don't actually, because they're quite literally insane. Wokeism, my darlings, a useful cog in the wheel of deep state machinery, sheer insanity. And let's look at the quote-unquote conservative response to this. Oh, back to traditional values, back to fundamentals. Our religion is under attack. Jesus is under attack. God is under attack. Darlings, um, I have some news for you. God does not perceive attacks. Attack thoughts are a human construct. If your God needs defending, you might consider worshipping a different deity. My point is this. The backlash to wokeism is just as fear-fueled, just as dysfunctional as the wokeism itself. Now, April 2022. That's where we are right now. We stand at the brink of the greatest awakening this planet will ever see. We are not going back to the way things were. The way things were was also controlled, manipulated, carefully managed. True liberation from mind control does not come from partisan affiliations, religious affiliations. It comes from direct knowing of the higher self. It comes from pure cosmic connection, aligning the human mind with the divine mind and letting the spirit inhabit the human. Part of the great awakening will be dismantling the myths that are the core of the major religions. And those who are greatly attached to these supernatural stories those who need these stories to make it through another day, they will be crushed. It's going to be very painful. And to that I say, ask yourselves why you crashed. Is it because you're attached to the story, the form, and not to source creator I am? Direct knowing of the divine, alignment, cosmic connection, has no need of silly stories. It doesn't need magical births, bodies missing from tombs. I long for the day we move past the need for such immaturity. And instead of looking to God for comfort and escape from a world gone mad, a world that we created, I long for the day we join with God to dissolve the insane illusion and build a world worthy of our true nature. And I'm sure I'll talk more about that every day and certainly on future podcasts, but I'll leave it there for now. There is no right side. There is no wrong side in all of this. Everyone is misaligned. Everyone feels they're being threatened. Everyone is perceiving an attack. This is not functional. All right. Well, that was fun. 
Let's move on to quack questions, answers, and comments. Darlings, if you would like to share the contents of your fabulous minds on this intergalactically acclaimed show, send your emails to me because I'm the only one who reads them. And that would be arnie at arnieavidician.com. If you want to use snail mail, go to Cosmic Arnie, P.O. Box 714, Wilsonville, Oregon, 97070, USA. And don't forget to let me know if and how you wish to be identified, or I shall have to refer to you as omit personal details, which I'm happy to do. But, you know, if you want to be identified, I'm happy to do it, too. So cheers. I'm having another little sip of my mocktail, which I think I've made a little too spicy. <clears throat> but let's shake up the fishbowl of perpetual perplexity and see what pops out. Shaky, shaky. Right. What have I got? This is from Martin from Bakersfield. <clears throat> we get a lot of letters from Bakersfield. Is Bakersfield some sort of hub of New Age spirituality these days? Um, I've driven through there many times on my way to Fresno. Uh, never really struck me as that, but I, obviously I'm wrong. All right, Martin from Bakersfield. He asks, Arnie, Elon Musk, human or robot, light or dark? Dangerous or filled with humane purpose? Hmm. Ah, well, first of all, Martin, may I say I do appreciate a good rhyme. So thanks for that. Um, here's my scoop on Elon. Well, he's human. He is off the Richter scale intelligent and has a very high crystalline cell content. He is essentially light filled. But what you would call a bit of a fence straddler? In today's insane world, I'd say he's hedging his bets. He values his intellect too highly to hide it away and is committed to being on the winning side. Mm, okay, some people might have a problem with that. Um, I'll just say lucky for us, the light wins. The light will win, final convergence and all that. That outcome has not changed and therefore nothing can stop what's happening and Hazar and all that. And Elon is going to be on our side. I can't say much beyond that because I'm not in his league. Not many are. I'm not a super genius. What's my IQ? I think it's 140. That does not make me an Elon Musk. Um, so I can't pretend to see things from his superior vantage point. You know, he's a high genius. They live in a different league. They think in different terms. They value their brains more than their penises. Um, and how wonderful is that? So um, thanks for that letter, and uh, I'm going to have to pay more attention to Bakersfield. Here's another letter, and this is from Liesl, who I, I think has written to us before. She's originally from Innsbruck and now lives in Detroit, which is quite a change, really, isn't it, from the Tyrol to Detroit? Hmm. Anyway, Liesl asks, if one is an atheist, what happens to them after they die? What will they see? Will they be stuck in a void forever? What a good question, Liesl, darling. Um, let's think about that. All right, I've thought. Our beliefs, our ingrained beliefs, will come into play after mortal death, initially anyway. So let's say a devout atheist dies a mortal death, and whether he likes it or not, the soul is going to travel to the realm we call heaven, safe haven. 
If this devout atheist believes there is nothing after mortal death, that is initially what he will experience. And this will confuse him, of course, because he's perceiving nothingness, yet he exists. His consciousness is perceiving nothingness, and this will be confusing and possibly unnerving at first. But take heart. He's floating around in the ether, which is actually a receiving area of heaven. And in time, he will see a light in the distance. Slowly, that light will get brighter until most of the area he occupies is illuminated. Then, from the light, he will most likely see a deceased family member or a good friend, someone he trusts, and that person will come slowly toward him and reassure him that all is well and take him into the receiving area proper. And then all proceeds as it does for everyone else after transition back to spirit form. And I won't go into further detail as we have covered what happens in heaven multiple times on the show. So I thank you, um, Liesl, for the excellent question. Um, Liesl, who left the Tyrrell for Detroit. You know, uh, there's many different types of language we can use for this. You could say God's love is merciful and God is an all merciful God. Uh, and you can use that language, certainly. But the way the cosmos is designed, it is designed through the vibration of unconditional love. So it doesn't matter what your personality got up to on the planet. You always have a chance for, I don't know, I could use the terms redemption, atonement, correction of thought. Um, don't worry about your friends who are atheists. God loves all its creations. All right, let's take another little look in the fishbowl of perpetual perplexity. Ah, uh, shall I do this one? Shall I do this one? Shall I do? Well, I'll do this one. So I've had a few emails recently asking about fasting, you know, the reasons, the benefits and so forth. And I'd like to sort of answer them all as a group, especially since I am on day three of my 14 day fast. So I feel super qualified to answer these questions. Um, fasting, very beneficial, but you need to take your time with it. First of all, the type of fast and the length of the fast, you must take into consideration your physical health. We're fasting to improve our lives, not to add to our problems. The most common type of fast is a one or two day fast, and we do this when we're stuck in a rut and are spending time in prayerful contemplation, focusing on hearing the voice of God and not the sounds of our rumbling stomachs. We need food. I can't deny that. Without food, we will eventually die. But as a race, and especially in the first world, we eat too much food and too much of the wrong types of food. No thanks to the modification of certain foods and no thanks to the creators of all the fad diets over the last few decades, confusing people with low carb, low fat, paleo, keto, which are all of them, in my opinion, a load of shito. Um, if our produce, our grain in particular, had not been tampered with, increasing the gluten content to ridiculous levels, 
A balanced omnivore diet with sensible portion control and some daily exercise would be enough to maintain good health, but they ruined the food. Anyway, moving on. Once you identify the reason for your fast, the next step is duration and what you actually mean by fasting. If you're a newbie and it's your first time and you think you can pull off a 14-day water fast, think again, my darlings. Now, if your reason for fasting is a medical one, I am legally obliged to say, please consult a medical professional, one who understands nutrition, good luck with that, for guidance. Here today, I will address fasting for spiritual clarity. So why is it such a problem for people, fasting? Because it is. Well, food is legal. Food is available 24-7 at various price points. Some foods are nutritious and good for the body. Other foods are made in factories filled with strange ingredients and additives, and those are designed to excite the pleasure centers of our brain. This leads to food addiction, which is a very serious problem in most first world countries. One should eat for energy and general well-being, not because one is addicted to a certain sensation. And we live in a world filled with distractions. Food, the availability, the variety, is one such distraction. A donut, take a donut. I'd love to take a donut. A donut cheap enough at 89 cents a pop gives us a quick sugar high, puts a smile on our faces. Had a rough day at work? How about a nice cold glass of beer and a large New York pretzel dipped in deli mustard? Having difficulty dealing with the noise in your head? Why not drown it out by watching television while drinking your beer and eating your mustard-dipped pretzel? You get my point. It's distraction. Who owns my mind? Is it me or is it the advertising company? Why am I stuffing this manufactured garbage into my mouth when I should be drinking a nice homemade cranberry seltzer? while I review and make peace with my day so I can look forward to and enjoy tomorrow. When you start fasting, you will be amazed by how many times each day you think of food. You will think of foods you have not eaten since 1962. Fasting teaches us many things. And one of those things is to sort out hunger from cravings. In a modern world filled with non-food food items, food addictions are real. And one other thing I know to be real is this. If you can learn to control your appetite and your cravings, it will greatly advance your spiritual journey. Now, I chose to do this 14-day fast because I'm making changes to the way I do business. My life's path is spiritual mentorship, spiritual leadership. I have spent my entire life guiding, giving advice, traveling with people through their pain, teaching the value of cosmic alignment. And after decades of doing this, I need to regroup. I need to know that I'm still guiding with the voice of God. I need to know 
that if any darker force-driven sort of ego things, remnants still lurk within my human personality, I need to know that I can tease them out and dissolve them in the Christ of light. So two or three days are not enough for this, not for me. I need the full 14. In fact, I should be doing 21, but I'd like to take it in stages. And I chose water, hot broth, and psyllium husk as my permitted foods. I know, really exciting, isn't it? Well, water, because we die without it, and we certainly don't drink enough. Hot broth, because my body runs cold, and it needs the nutrients in homemade broth. And psyllium husk, because it is effective in cleaning the colon. And a common mistake people make when fasting is to dismiss the detox factor. Oftentimes, we detox so quickly that we reabsorb the toxins before we can completely eliminate them. And this gives us headaches and other problems and we're tempted to stop fasting. I won't go into details. I'm pretty sure you know what Metamucil will do for you. Now, the physical benefits of this fast are not lost on me. You know, men sana incorpore sano, um, healthy mind, healthy body. But the real reason I chose to fast is to reset my divine focus. To eliminate from my daily habits anything that doesn't serve my, my higher good. It doesn't mean I will never eat a pastry again or never have a martini again. Heaven forbid. It means that right now I need to identify what nourishes me versus what gives me a quick high. It means I wish to evaluate how easily I am distracted by the shiny. So be sensible. If you're new to this, read a few books on fasting and familiarize yourself with the author's successes and failures. I find it works well for new people to fast one day each week for, say, two months, just to get into the flow and to make it a routine. One day is manageable. If it's not, you don't have control over your own mind, and that is not a good thing, and it needs to be addressed. So doing the one day a week for a couple of months, after a couple of months of making it a routine, you will have a better idea of how to proceed. Remember, I know this is going to sound strange, but fasting is not about not eating. Fasting is about paying attention to your thoughts. And fasting requires preparation, research, and as always, individualized assessment. And don't set yourselves up to fail as so many do, albeit unconsciously. And they do this by setting their very first fast for 21 days, knowing deep down they will fail. And then they've self-justified their failure, haven't they, before they've even started the fast. That's how messed up the human mind has become, and that's why we all need to fast a lot more often. So, don't do it quickly. Put a lot of thought into it, and for heaven's sake, take medical advice if you have any sort of compromised immune system, which I suspect, after the recent hoax, the vast majority of the planet does have. I'll drink to that. Not because I think it's a good thing, but because... I just want to have a drink. Okay, let's pick just one more question. And uh, let's see, what should we pick? Let's pick this one because it's pretty. Um, this was actually a letter. 
Um, interesting. All right, I get postcards sometimes. Very rarely do I get letters. And this is from Omit, who says, my friends and I had a heated discussion last night about pyramids. <laughs> well, doesn't everyone? Um, in particular, Egyptian pyramids, and in particular about the method of production. I don't buy the Hollywood version of millions of slaves and everything being done by hand, but I can't stretch my mind to the alien theory either. However we look at it, building them was a remarkable feat. The question no one has answered to our satisfaction is who built them and how? Do you, do your people on the other side have any input? What a lovely question. Um, well, my dear Omit, the alien theory, I have to say, I don't buy into that either. I've always believed there's a practical, logical human explanation. First of all, with regard to the Hollywood explanation of the millions of slaves, the Egyptians they would have needed a vast army of soldiers to house the slaves, feed the slaves, and of course, keep the slaves in line. And not to mention train them, because unless you were in the grunt line, you know, the guys who pass bricks down the line, pyramid building is skilled work. It's guild work. You need mathematicians, astronomers. What else do you need? Civil engineers, stonemasons woodworkers, and every other known skill used in construction. No matter how many people you have in the grunt line, how on earth would you move all that heavy stone to the chosen location? Big stones, some of them are huge. I mean, they would have sunk the transport ships of the day. And pulling them on ropes would have taken thousands of men years and years and years even if the terrain allowed it. I've had a theory since I was in high school that nobody paid attention to because no one pays attention to you at school. But my theory is that they used concrete for the biggest blocks and concrete can be made on location. Now, many years ago, I started some serious research on this, but as with most things in life, life got in the way, um, and I, you know, went on to other things. But I'm convinced they were built by man, by humans. They certainly had the skill set and they certainly had the necessary knowledge of astronomy and mathematics to pull it off. You know, you just take a look at all these little tunnels in those pyramids and they're aligned with Rigel and Betelgeuse and Sirius. I mean, th this is not an accident. Now, why is there so much resistance? to finding the truth about pyramids. That still baffles me. Well, maybe it doesn't. After all, academia also has a corrupt core because the tentacles of deep state reach far and, well, deep. And when it comes to education, boy, they did a number on us. I would also like to know why no one addresses the evidence that early Egyptians had sub-Saharan facial features. And, and what about Easter Island, the statues, they're not aliens, but they're clearly sub-Saharan. So did they cross the sea from Egypt and start to build pyramids all around the world? I mean, how did they get there? And where else did they go? 
So let's examine all the pyramids on Earth and look at stone composition and construction techniques because there are big chunks missing from the story. And this is exciting stuff. I could talk about it for hours, but I'm not going to. So thank you so much for that, um, for that letter. In fact, I think it's sort of motivated me to start doing some research again. And thank you to everyone for your questions. And that's it for Quack today. Let's have a bit of fun now with a little pat of poetry. I've got a brand new kazoo. Isn't it wonderful? The other one broke. Um, yes, folks, after a hard day shamaning, I like nothing better than coming home, putting my feet up, having a nice cup of tea or a small drinky poo and writing really silly, non-peer-reviewed poetry. Why have Shakespeare and literary prowess when you can have Arnie and a whole lot less? Today's offering is a ode to Odin, the Allfather, and it is titled An Ode to Odin, the Allfather. Here we go. Odin, mighty Allfather, hail to thee. I hope you have recovered after hanging from that tree. You pierce the barriers of your inner consciousness. Did all that mead and pillaging make of your mind a mess? But I digress. You are Odin, and I'm sure you did what you thought was best. Well, people, I happen to think that's award-winning poetry right there. I should be given some sort of prize, um, probably the booby prize, but I should get a prize for that. And this morning, when I was feeling, well, hungry, because I'm fasting, I wrote another little ditty um, while I was in a very strange mood. And this one is titled, I am fasting. Here we go. Reality exists only in the human mind. So I wish to explore mine and see what I can find. Such dedicated research needs minimal distraction I must fast and look upon pastry as wretched putrefaction. Although nauseated and queasy, the first day is always easy. I can go 24 hours without food and whiskey sours. Day two is strange as daily habits are rearranged. Not a good day, I think, to take my Glock pistol down to the range. Day three kicks in and I have visions of donut sin. But I bear it and I grin, I will not give in. I know from experience, day four turns the corner. I replace food with prayer. I'm a human transformer. I think that one should get a prize too, and probably a donut at the end of my fast. Well, I hope you enjoyed that. I certainly did. What are we going to do now? Ah, oh, you know what it's time for? <laughs> it's time for Tarot A Go Go. A little what the heck with your favorite tarot deck. And I'm still using the Robin Wood deck. Uh, why not? It's handy and it's very, very pretty. So what is the card? What did we do last time? We did the Nine of Wands. So it's the Nine of Cups. So let's pick up this bad boy and let's see what he has to say. Nine of cups, where are you? Where are you? There you are. All right. Ooh. 
This is commonly known by tarotologists as the dream come true, the wish come true card. And it's a lovely little card. It's a fat, chubby little merchant all decked out in his finery, got a real smug little smile on his face, and he's got the nine cups behind him. Um, this, this card says, ooh, look at me. I did it, mom. Look at me. Desires fulfilled. Yes, he is content. I won't say he's smug. It's more content. And he's enjoying his life. He's living his best life. He's comfortable. He's a bit chubby, but healthy. Um, yeah. Material happiness. A job well done. This, this bloke, he's made some money. I think he's probably got a nice little family. Um, he definitely has got what he, he's got what he deserved. He went after it and he got it. You know that little song? When you wish upon a star, well, he wished upon his star and his dreams came true. I get the impression with this card, I feel like life is a buffet. Eat, drink, be merry. So when this card comes up for you, especially if it comes up at the end, like in the outcome position, I think it's fair to say you will get what you want. A great deal of satisfaction. Um, all the way to a job well done and some, you know, basic comfort, all the way up to luxury. Uh, definitely a card of contentment. Um, let's see what else he gives us in this. Um, I don't think I feel like he's overly indulgent in the upright position. I think he's just really enjoying himself. Um, sometimes when you just, you know, ask, you know, God for a favor, uh, <laughs> as it were. Oh, God, I need another $100 or whatever and whatever. And you pick a card and you get this card. It's usually somebody who's going to come and help you out. Um, yeah, it's a it's a lovely little card. I would be very happy to pick this. Um, let's turn it upside down. Let's put it in the challenged position, the reversed position. And let's see what we make of it. Oh. See, now, that's not so good, is it, really? Because all the wine is falling out of his cups. And now I see the smug expression. He was content before, but now he's, he's smug. But why? Because I feel, hmm, a couple of mixed messages in this one. I definitely feel he's had too much of a good thing. Um hedonism as they call it uh, perhaps he's been spending too much time in physical pleasure overindulging um, that sort of thing shallowness superficial values um, but I also feel it could be gosh you know this could also this could be drug addiction this could be depression um, you know losing yourself in material things to heal your pain, drinking too much, eating too much, being addicted to sex or some other physical activity. I get an air of also superficiality in this. Um, definitely I get feelings of abuse. Uh, people who don't really care about other people, fear-based people. I've got it, I don't care if nobody else has it kind of thing. 
Um, another way of looking at it too, because you know meanings they vary, don't they? Another way of looking at it is, is you know, be careful what you ask for because it may not be good for you. And if you're going through health problems, this card may come up reversed, saying that you are overindulging. Um, you're not really taking care of yourself. Of course, financial loss is a probability with this card in the reverse position. So when you get this in the reverse position, please take a look at where you are in your life. Take a look at your relationships, um, primarily the relationship with yourself. Do you love yourself? Are you engaging in too much, um, too much physical abuse, as it were? Are you so fear-filled that you can only think about yourself? There's a distinct lack of charity with this card in the reverse position. Narcissistic behavior, you know, smugness, hedonism. Hmm. Let me turn it the right way up. Much better. There. Now it really is the wish come true card so that's it today with tarot a go-go <laughs> with my brand new shiny blue kazoo all right what shall we do now um i know what we're going to do we're going to do the cryptic mystic where we have our way with someone dead who liked to pray and on this week's show we have someone who is dead because you can't be on the show, on the cryptic mystic, unless you've conked it. You've got to be dead. But this person, albeit dead, wasn't much of a praying person and certainly had no mystical aspirations. Yet the body of work she channeled is, in my opinion, a superlative guide to higher consciousness. Ladies and gentlemen, I present to you <laughs> Helen Schuchman channeler of A Course in Miracles. So who was this lady and why do we care? Well, I do care because I love A Course in Miracles. Helen Cohen Schuchman, born Helen Dora Cohen, July 14th, 1909, passed away February the 9th, 1981. She was an American clinical psychologist and research psychologist. In fact, she was a professor of medical psychology at Columbia University in New York from 1958 until her retirement in 1976. Um, she has her own bodies of work in psychology, but she is best known for having channeled or scribed, as she called it, with the help of her colleague, William Thetford, The Course in Miracles. Uh, first edition, I believe, was 1975, the contents of which she claimed had been given to her by an inner voice, which she later, I believe, identified as Jesus. I believe that the Course in Miracles comes from a Christ consciousness of which Jesus is a part, but I do not think of the Course in Miracles as a correction of Christian theology per se. Anyway, moving on. Schuchman. Yes. Um, what did she come from? She came from a prosperous family. Her father was a chemist um, and her mother, Rose Black uh, had a passing interest in, you know, theosophy, various different expressions of Christianity, Christian science. Uh, she dabbled with the Unity School of Christianity. Um, 
Schuchman received her BA from New York University, 1935, and she met a fellow student there, um, and not, you know, Louis Schuchman. That was 1932. She married him. And I think it was a very quick little 10-minute ceremony in a local rabbi's office. Both of her parents were, were half Jewish. So 1933, that was. Um, the chap she married, Mr. Schuchman, he owned bookstores on Book Row in Manhattan. And during the early years of her marriage, uh, Helen Schuchman worked in the main store. And I'm sure she was wonderful at doing that, but she grew restless in her early 40s. And she went back to New York University to study psychology, and she received her master's there in 1952 and her PhD in 1957. I think she would be the first to tell us, if she wasn't dead, um, that there was nothing remarkable about her life until the inner voice spoke to her and told her to start taking dictation. And I think I'll quote directly from the Course in Miracles complete course textbook um, to give you an idea of how this came about. Because really and truly, the very last thing on this woman's mind um, as a clinical psychologist was that she was going to channel the Holy Spirit or some manifestation of it. So let me read to you from the actual book. Of course, I will editorialize because I can't help myself, but most of this text is from the actual book. So A Course in Miracles began with the sudden decision of two people to join in a common goal. Their names were Helen Schuchman and William Fetford, professors of medical psychology at Columbia University's College of Physicians and Surgeons in New York City. It does not matter who they were, except that this story shows that with God, all things are possible. They were anything but spiritual. Their relationship with each other was difficult and often strained, and they were concerned with personal and professional acceptance and status. In general, they had considerable investment in the values of the world, and their lives were hardly in accord with anything that the Course advocates. Helen, the one who received the material, describes herself here, and I will quote directly. Psychologist, educator, conservative in theory, and atheist in belief. I was working in a prestigious and highly academic setting. And then something happened that triggered a chain of events. I could never have predicted it. The head of my department unexpectedly announced that he was tired of the angry and aggressive feeling our attitudes reflected and concluded that there must be another way. As if on cue, I agreed to help him find it. Apparently, this course is the other way. So although their intention was serious, they had great difficulty in starting out on their joint venture. But they had given, um, let's just say, you know, I'm, I'm going to get off the script a little bit. They really weren't spiritual people. They really didn't get on very well. But somehow when they worked on the course together, their relationship changed, but only for the time that they worked on the course. When they were back being psychologists in Columbia, um, Columbia University, they, you know, they still didn't get on and they went back to being their old personalities. So let me read from Helen's first person account. Three startling months preceded the actual writing 
during which time Bill suggested that I write down the highly symbolic dreams and descriptions of the same of the strange images that were coming to me. Although I had grown more accustomed to the unexpected by that time, I was still very surprised when I wrote, this is a course in miracles. That was my introduction to the voice. It made no sound, but seemed to be giving me a kind of rapid inner dictation, which I took down in a shorthand notebook. The writing was never automatic. It could be interrupted at any time and later picked up again. It made me very uncomfortable, but it never seriously occurred to me to stop. It seemed to be a special assignment I had somehow, somewhere agreed to complete. It represented a truly collaborative venture between Bill and myself, and much of its significance, I am sure, lies in that. I would take down what the voice said and read it to him the next day, and he typed it from my dictation. I expect he had his special assignment too. Without his encouragement and support, I would never have been able to fulfill mine. The whole process took about seven years. The text came first, then the workbook for students, and finally the manual for teachers. Only a few minor changes have been made. Chapter titles and subheadings have been inserted in the text, and some of the more personal references that occurred in the beginning have been omitted. Otherwise, the material is substantially unchanged. So what is the course in miracles? Well, as its title implies, it's arranged throughout as a teaching device. It consists of three books, a text, a workbook, and a manual for teachers. And the order in which the students choose to use the books and the ways in which they study them depends on their particular needs and preferences. So at this point, I'm going to put the book down and tell you why I have chosen to teach this. I've been teaching it to private groups for about 12 years now. And if we look back at the last 2000 years and how religions, all religions were supposed to make us a better planet and make, make us better people, well, it failed miserably. And I'm sure that if we put our minds to it, we can think why. The Course in Miracles is designed to teach you your true nature, which is divine, cosmic, pure, unblemished, and is designed to put your personality back into what we call the authentic self, which is the very best version of yourself, the version of yourself that allows the spirit to inhabit the human. If we were all perfectly aligned with divine mind, we would understand objectively and without too much pain, the mistakes that we've made in the past and why our co-creations, we would understand why our co-creations are such failures. So as of May the 9th, I am offering a course in miracles to the general public. Of course, you can still study with your own private groups. I mean, just give me a call and we can set that up. But I believe that this is a fast track, if I can call it that, to spiritual advancement. It's certainly faster than 2000 years of BS, isn't it? So the Course in Miracles is intellectually challenging. Don't do it if you're in your feeble-minded stage. But if you genuinely 
want to embrace a true direct knowing of your divinity, if you genuinely want to step into your power and allow spirit to guide your mind, then you should take a look at A Course in Miracles. If you look at the book, it looks like it's going to take a year. No one does it in a year. Two to three to four years is typical. But that's the beauty of the course. It's not really linear. The concepts are spiraling. And if you study with me, of course, you'll have more fun than with anyone else. Um, I do teach it in a slightly different way. The whole point of it is not to frustrate you. It's to tease out all of your frustrations and all of your darkness. So only the light is left and the light embraces the spirit. The spirit embraces the light. And we take back this planet from the insanity that's going on. Well, my darlings, oh my God, it's happened again. We're almost at the end of the show. Oh, let me finish my drink. We can't end the show until I finish my drink. Mm. Mm. Oh God, that's spicy. <clears throat> right, now I've finished my drink. I hope you enjoyed listening in as much as I enjoyed recording today. Because, you know, I have a blast. I love this. It's a joy to connect with like-minded people. And all the martini heads of the world, I love you. Mwah! Today's real-life cocktail was a mocktail because I'm cleansing my beautiful body. And it's a Virgin Mary. And not because I'm a virgin, because guess what? I'm not. But here, here is how you make it. Mm. Three ounces of tomato juice, half an ounce of lemon juice, one dash of Worcestershire sauce. If you can't say Worcestershire, salient parents, please. Um, half a teaspoon of celery salt, freshly ground black pepper, a couple of dashes of Tabasco, one stalk of celery, one pickle spear or whatever you want for garnish. Gather up your ingredients, get yourself a jug, pour the tomato juice and lemon juice into the jug, mix it well, add the Worcestershire sauce, salt, pepper, hot sauce to taste, give it a good mix, pour it into a highball over the rocks and then garnish it with whatever the heck you want to garnish it with. Serve it and enjoy. If you want it to be a Bloody Mary, put vodka in it. Otherwise, it's perfectly lovely as is. And friends, do make it from scratch. Don't use a mix. Friends don't let friends drink premixed cocktails. Now remember, folks, cocktails are great if they are an occasional treat. If you use top quality ingredients and take the art of mixology seriously, one drink is all you need. I'm Ani Mad Shaman Avidician. This was Metaphysical Martini, a production of Cosmic Reality Radio, to whom we are most grateful. Until we meet again, supersize your soul, not your takeout. Call for the arrest of those who wish to subjugate mankind. And above all, my darlings, let the spirit inhabit the human. <laughs> have been listening to The Metaphysical Martini with Ani Alphadisian, The Mad Shaman, a production of CosmicReality.com.